Hey guys, I'm Emily, I'm an alcoholic. Hey Emily. Thank you, I love you. Can't make me cry before I even start talking. Um, I'm also gonna grab my water bottle real quick Okay. Um, thank you guys for having me here tonight. It's super good to be here and it's really cool. I was like thinking, as I was sitting in my chair, there's a lot of people in here who like know me super well. Um, and it's such a blessing to have all of you guys here and to also be surrounded by, thank you, thank you, um, people who like saw me when I came in and saw me, you know, um, walk through the process that Julia spoke briefly about, um, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about, um, which is, you know, what I was like before I found this program and like what happened to me and what my life is like today. And if you knew me before I got sober, like the woman that I am today and the way that I'm able to carry myself and the way I show up in my life is like unrecognizable from that little girl who initially walked into these doors. Um, and that's just like the beautiful gift that AA has given me is like this completely new life and way to live. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and you know, my day today was like, I woke up, I was in a rush, but I like, I prayed and I went to work and I sat in this room all day with a ton of people that I love and care about. And I'm so grateful that I had to get to like show up to a job today with people that I actually like and I can sit there and like actually be present. And then I got to go home and like watch my 11 month old shove pasta down his throat and like get <laughs> pasta sauce all over him. Um, and then I got to like get in my car and listen to some music and like pray and then come here and be with you guys. And, you know, I got sober on November 3rd of 2013, and, you know, then what my life looked like was I was, like, blacking out every night. I was disappearing for three to five days at a time. My parents were calling the cops and everyone that I knew trying to figure out where I was. No one knew if I was, like, dead or alive, and I was, like, completely incapable of showing up for anyone. Like, I had no one left. Um, and that's really what my life looked like for a long time before I walked into these rooms. Um, and so just to say too, like my sobriety day is November 3rd, 2013. And I, you know, have a sponsor. I actively work with other women. My home group is new in our city. We meet on Thursday nights at 8 PM. Um, if you're ever not here, it's a solid meeting, I think. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, you know, way before I ever started drinking, you know, and I hear people talk about this all the time, but for me, like I remember, and I always talk about this because it was like this distinct moment where I just felt completely out of place in the world. And my childhood was amazing. Like I have two amazing parents. They love each other very much. Dad's a bit of a hothead, but like <laughs> always comes from a place of love. And, um, <laughs> Anyways, I grew up in like a little bit of that like hot New York angry Italian environment, but also like I was loved and all my needs were met and taken care of. Like I had no reason to feel, you know, alone in my own house or alone in school, whatever. And I was always just this like very energetic, go-getter, like perfectionist, OCD, like everything needed to be done perfectly. And I always needed like the credit for doing so. You know, when my sister was born, I told my parents to take her back to the hospital <laughs> because I was the most important person and they needed to give all their love and attention to me. And like, even in our home videos, I'm like jumping in front of her so that I can have the limelight. And that's just how I was um, from the beginning. And something shifted in me 
in like third grade, I was sitting in math class and I was daydreaming because I would do that frequently where I would just like doze off and quit paying attention. And I remember the teacher called on me for the answer to a math question and I had no clue what the answer was. And so I just blurted out like nine and the whole class started laughing. And like any bit of self-esteem and self-confidence and pride that I had was shattered. And I was like, okay, Emily, like this is it. Like everyone knows that you are a complete idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Like you're just this like chubby, worthless little kid. Because I was, like I was chubby and I had glasses and I was like, an AR reading star. I was just like a little nerdy kid. And, um, but I didn't realize that at the time, right? Because up until that moment, like I was just this free spirited, energetic, like crazy little kid. And then for the first time, like something shifted where I started seeing myself as like, well, I'm not good enough, right? Like I weigh too much. My other friends look like this. I need to look like that. Um, you know, the cool girls are doing this. And so I was like, trying to figure out how I could possibly like fit myself into the box of life that other people seem to have figured out. And somehow I missed like that cue. And so for me, like I started doing things and taking action to like change my appearance. Um, and it led me down a path where I like became very ill um, with an eating disorder at a super young age. And I only share that because it's like a big part of my story as it pertains to like self-esteem and not feeling like I was a part of and the lengths and extremes that I went to to change the way that I felt. Um, and so, you know, I was in and out of treatment and therapy in the hospital for a really long time. And in all of those situations, it was always like, what concoction of like medication or and therapy and inpatient, outpatient, and all this stuff can we like mix together to get this perfect potion that's just gonna like make Emily okay. And I'm not saying that none of that worked because I'm like super grateful that I was able to do all of those things. And I help, I really think that a lot of them helped me. Um, but anyways, I learned like really quickly on that it was always going to be something outside of myself that I was going to have to like put into me to make that puzzle fit together. I never was taught, never considered that like I needed to find something inside of myself to fill that like giant hole that I felt like existed. Um, and so that concept was really foreign to me for a long time. And so after I kind of got done with all of that, you know, I found booze. And so that was like my next thing, man. And the first night I drank, I blacked out. And that's the way that I drank every time that I drank. And like, I don't believe that what makes me an alcoholic is like the extremes that I went to or the circumstance that I put myself in or how far down the path that I went. Did I go to jail or not? Did I do any of that stuff? Um, and I struggled for that in a really, for a really long time when I came into AA um, because, you know, I, I was at a pretty young age. And so when I came into AA, I was like comparing my outsides to all these people, right? Um, I don't have a house to lose. I don't have whatever to lose. Um, and it took me a long time to like finally listen to what you guys were saying about the way that you felt for me to actually be able to relate to that. Um, and so, you know, I started drinking and it was just instant relief, right? I didn't have to worry about like talking about my shit in therapy or getting honest with my parents about what was going on. Like I could have instant relief in alcohol and I didn't have to wait very long for it. And for me, you know, I cannot control the amount that I drink once I start drinking. I never could control the amount that I drink ever. Like for me, it was just once I put that stuff in my body, like I'm gonna keep going. 
And then it got to the point, too, where, like, when I wasn't drinking, not only was I obsessing about drinking, but, like, I was absolutely insane. Like, I would have blackout rages where I would, like, throw myself on the floor. I would break windows. Um, I broke my own wrist one time because I just, like, needed to get out of the house so that, because I was, like, grounded or something. Like, the amount, and I'm just illustrating that to say, like, the amount of insanity that existed in my life, like, without alcohol and without a solution was absolutely absurd. Um, And so what did I do but, like, continue to drink? And ironically, you know, one of my best friends growing up, her mom was actually in AA and had been for a long time. And about a year, like, after I started drinking, my parents realized, like, maybe Emily's not a normal drinker. Um, My parents owned a bar at the time, and I think, like, most kids would just, like, take little water bottles and, like, fill it up with liquor from their parents' liquor cabinets, and I would just take all the bottles. I would take the whole (laughs) bottle. And I remember coming home from school one day, and they had, like, found all my stashed liquor bottles, and they are like, hey, what's going on? So they introduced me to this woman, and this woman was to come to be my sponsor later on. And she, my mom's like, I don't know what you need, but like you got to figure something out. Just talk to this lady. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I talked to her, and like she tells me my story. Um, and it was the first person I truly ever felt like I could relate to in my entire life. And I'd done, like I said, like a lot of therapy, a lot of like digging and trying to self-seek and do all these things. And she just, like, explained to me what her drinking looked like. And she told me that, you know, she would have, she would black out every time she drank. And she talked about the anger and rage and all this stuff that I could relate to. And, like, that's a beautiful thing I find here in AA is I finally, like, find people who are speaking about exactly how I felt my entire life. And so I found that. Um, And I went to my first AA meeting, and I was super uncomfortable because all you guys were super happy And I was very confused as to how I could ever feel that way. And again, I just felt like so out of place in this world that like, I know I wanted what you guys had, but I wasn't quite willing to do what you guys had done to get there. Um, So I kept drinking, you know, and the same things continued to happen over and over again. And I think like every year in high school, I ended up in some sort of like mental institution or rehab or something. Um, So it was always, like, not sustainable for me. Like, I could maybe convince myself that I could control my drinking, and then within a week or two, like, I was back off to the races. Um, And I ended up in a lot of places that I never said or thought that I would end up in, but I did. Um, And I remember, you know, at the end of my senior year in high school, which was kind of the beginning of the end for me, I ended up going out to, like, West Texas for rehab. I wasn't too interested in being in rehab. Like, I was just didn't want to be there. I went at the, in the moment because I was like, okay, like, I got to get my parents off my back. And I just, like, my world is, this world is, like, caving in on me. Like, I knew I was running out of options. I wasn't willing to do the work in AA. So, like, of course I'll go to rehab and I'll stay there for 45 days. And I got in all sorts of trouble while I was there. And I was just a complete a-hole and didn't listen to anything that they said and, like, rebelled every second that I possibly could. So, of course, when I got out of rehab, I didn't do anything that they told me to do, which included getting a sponsor and going to AA. I had been going to AA meetings throughout this whole time period, and I remember, like, frequently having just these moments where I was like, and it talks about it a little bit in Bill's story, right? Like, I sign these, like, I have these resolutions, and I say I'm not going to drink again, and I say I'm not going to do it, and I would call that lady, and I would be like, hey... I don't know what to do. I need help. And she'd be like, well, hey, get to a meeting. Here's the things you need to do. 
okay, hang up, go drink. And that would happen over and over again. And so, you know, I went out there and I got out and I was like surrounded by people who were doing a lot of things that I hadn't experienced before. And I was also met with like my first experience of being in close company with somebody who passed away from this illness. And I had heard in the rooms like over and over again, you know, that like people died from this disease and whatever, but like it didn't become real for me until that moment. And so this kid who I was with like an hour prior to him ending up in the hospital in a coma passed away. And like what I did was his car was still parked at the apartment that I was staying at. So I used it as an opportunity to like take his keys and go run errands with the car who the guy, like the guy's in the hospital and he died a few hours later and I'm driving around his vehicle. Um, and that's just like the type of person that I was, right? I didn't have any care. And the book, one of the, my favorite parts of the doctor's opinion that talks about is like living in this place where I can't differentiate the true from the false. And I wish I was capable in the moment of like realizing that that was screwed up, but I just wasn't, you know, drinking brought me to this place where I legitimately could not recognize like that I was doing anything wrong. And I was living just to drink, man, like nothing else mattered. And what happened for me was like this series of events just led me to have this like really profound spiritual moment of clarity. Um, And a lot of people talk about it, but I don't really know how else to describe it. Like I didn't force that moment to happen. No circumstances brought me there. I just woke up out of a blackout one night and I saw myself for what I was for the first time. Um, And in that moment, like this woman that I had been talking to had talked about prayer and I'd heard you guys talk about hitting your knees and whatever. So I like hit my knees as soon as I had that like brief moment of clarity. I hit my knees and I was like pretty sure I was praying over the toilet bowl, but it didn't matter at that point because it worked. Um, And so I hit my knees and I called that woman and I was like, I'm finally ready to do the work. And she's like, okay read this chapter and then we'll meet, you know, in a couple of days. And I was like, okay. And she'd been telling me to read that effing chapter for like three years. <laughs> and I just, I just wasn't in a place where I could do it. And I did. And we walked through the steps. Um, and I really like, wasn't the type of person, um, like, I didn't understand what I was doing the whole time. I understand it now in retrospect. Um, and I also understand that it wasn't really important for me to, like, understand as much why I was doing what I was doing, but just for me to freaking do it. Um, and she would, like, tell me, obviously, to get, like, the other night, you know, I was here on Tuesday and talked about home group and sponsorship. And she emphasized the importance of a home group to me and the importance of, like, getting there early and setting up chairs. Um, I say this often, but like, I didn't realize at the time that like showing up and making coffee and setting up chairs was like an active part of like turning myself over and giving my will over and like an active part of trying to be humble, right? Humbling myself to something greater than me. I didn't recognize that when I walked into the meetings, the chairs just like, weren't just set up here for Emily, you know? (laughs) And so it was like this really cool thing that I'm able to see now that I didn't quite understand at the time that was unfolding for me. Um, And honestly, like, I didn't really, we talk a lot about God in this program, and that's such a huge part of my life today. And Julia talked about, like, me loving my kid, Will, right? And now it's like, and some of you guys may or may not have kids, but, like, I love that baby more than anything in the whole world. 
And if I could just imagine that like God loves me that much, how amazing and powerful is that? Um, and so for me, I didn't recognize for a really long time that like throughout my whole life, like that love, I could always tap into it at any time. But all these like things and these circumstances and events had like blocked me from that. And they still do today. Like I'm not going to say I'm perfect. And what we read at the beginning, how it works, talks about that, right? Like I can choose to tap into that power at any moment if I take certain actions to like get the shit out of the way first so that I can actually access it. Um, and so for me, I really didn't have like any sort of sense of like God or a higher power or whatever until I'd like cleaned up my past. Right. So it was like at about steps eight or nine and I was talking to one of my cousins up in New York and she was like, Hey, my grandma passed away when I was like six months sober. And so I think I was like around my amends at that point. And my cousin was like, Hey, like grandma was really proud of everything that you were doing. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't recognize that, like, for someone, because I was lived in North Carolina, right? There's no way that I wrecked havoc on any of my family in New York. Like, I never interacted with them or did anything. But I did. Like, I impacted my parents, and those are their children, right? And so I caused harm indirectly. It was the first time I realized that I, like, harmed people to an extent that I did not realize. And I caused a lot of harm. And so in throughout that immense process of really like going to these people and facing like what I had done and I had my mom like look me in the eyes and straight up tell me that she like didn't believe that I was ready to start living a different way that I was going to have to show her. And at the time I'm like, dude, what the heck? Like this is all supposed to go smoothly. Like everything's supposed to be great. (laughs) Um, But it was true, you know, and that's just like stuff that I had to work through and live with and, um, But it was the first time I was capable of, like, A, realizing the way that I really treated people, and secondly, like, finally feeling like I was a part of this program because I had actually, like, done the work and done the actions and went and, like, actually faced those people. And at that point, I started to kind of sense this, like, relationship with a higher power. Um, And I'm really lucky, man. Like, for me, I came into AA with kind of this like open perspective on God. I wasn't particularly thrilled about it, but I also wasn't like close to the idea that it was like was going to work for me. And I saw that that was working better than what I was doing, so I was just open to it. And my experience with all of that throughout sobriety is that it's been like ever changing for me. Um, and the most important thing to me is just to be reminded that like I need to take consistent action. To like tap into that. I was listening to a book and she talked about how she used to like go and sit in her closet for 10 minutes and meditate. And eventually like the 10 minutes that felt like an hour became more like five minutes and how she was able to like reach this level beneath her. And that's been my experience with the God stuff. The more that I practice it, like the better it be- I get at it a little bit, like, or the more of a habit it becomes. Um, so that when I'm like really in a pitch, my automatic reaction is to like pray and breathe and call one of you guys as opposed to like lashing out. I still have a problem with lashing out, particularly at my husband, but I'll talk more about that in a minute. (laughs) Um, So yeah, um, anyways, I went through that first set of steps and like my first year of sobriety came and I was like, oh my God, like it just went so quickly. And I became really involved with, like, different service committees and was going back and forth to all these different events. And it was just a really good time. Like, I really felt like I was in the middle of AA. 
Um, and service has been a huge piece of that too. Like through a home group and through a lot of those committees, I was like all of a sudden surrounded by people that I wanted to be surrounded by because they were all doing like the same thing that I was doing, which was being of service and A was at the center of their lives. And I realized, you know, for the first time ever that I was like finally felt like Emily, you know, and um, I got in a relationship like relatively early on in sobriety and it's worked out. But I remember he said to me, like, pretty early on, he's like, hey, like, you just have something going on. Like, you've got all these walls up. Like, you're so afraid to just, like, let me see who you are. Like, just let loose and have fun. Um, I had to Google how to be affectionate. (laughs) I didn't know how to, like, be a person in a relationship, like a romantic relationship or a friendship or anything of that nature. And so, you know, in the process of, like, working that, that set of steps in my first year of sobriety, it was this, like, beautiful thing of me finally just being able to, like, take a breath um, and let loose and experience that peace and freedom and how beautiful that was. Um, and, like, slowly over time, and this kind of becomes a cycle, like, that's woven throughout the thread of my sobriety that right now is actually, like, one of the biggest things I'm working on unweaving now is stuff with work, right? Because what happened after that was I got a job that, like, took me away from AA a little bit. And so, you know, I wasn't going to my regular meetings because I was working night shifts. And then, you know, since I wasn't able to get to those meetings, I might as well get another job. Because, like, you know, if I can't go to those meetings and have a social life, I might as well just work all night instead of, you know, just part of the night. And so before I know it, I have, like, three jobs, and literally all I'm doing is working. And, like, I didn't necessarily need the money, right? Because the happiest I've ever been in my life is literally when, like, money was no concern of me, and I just spent most of my time, like, going to meetings, being of service, and in fellowship. And that's been, like, the most carefree, um, free I've ever felt in AA, and it was within those first couple years And so I, like, slowly tapered off that stuff, and then I found out that I was moving out to Denver, and, um, you know, I was really conflicted on, like, should I move and should I not move? And um, one of my sponsor at the time, like, said something super impactful to me, and and she's like, well, how about you just, like, pray and trust your gut? And so at two years sober, I'm, like, sitting there not recognizing that, like, in doing all these things, I can make a decision today that's based on my gut. And, like... Back, like I told you, you know, before I got sober, I never had a gut or any sort of conscience or idea of, you know, right and wrong. And so the fact that I can make a decision to, like, move halfway across the country because I felt peace about it was a major milestone in me, like, just trusting this process and that, like, God had me no matter what. And so I moved, um, and the only person I knew when I got there was my husband. And I, like realized really quickly because I was like traveling for work at the time too so I wasn't able to like consistently get plugged in when I got there Um, and I recognized like really quickly that I just wasn't (laughs) in fit spiritual condition probably because I like stopped doing AA and started working more Um, and so when I got there ironically um, like there was a young people's conference being hosted in Denver that year and so I was able to jump on that committee and like I mentioned before, it's like I was, I was immediately surrounded by just this fellowship of people. And through that, I was like reminded yet again, and I know this is probably a little redundant at this point, um, but every time like you read how it works, it brings it up for me again that like the basic things that I was taught when I came into this room are still what work for me today. 
in terms of staying like happy, peaceful, free, all those things. And so if I just stick to those basics of like keeping an open channel with a higher power and staying active in step work and being of service, like I'm typically a pretty happy person. And so I was able to like go back to just being reminded of that fact. Um, and I met a sponsor out there and like she taught me more about God than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> um, and every time we had a conversation, she would always be like, hey, pray about it and then call me back. You know, I'm not talking to you until you pray about it. Hey, what would God have you do in this situation? Um, hey, how about you think about a time where you were happiest in your ever li- like happiest ever in your life and imagine God just loving you in that moment? Meditate on that and then call me back. And that was always her response to everything, right? Was always like, where is God in this situation? And it, so it trained me um, to like really focus on like where am I in my relationship with God and like how much do I really trust God? And the answer at the time was, like, not that much. And so I, I had to, I mean, throughout my entire sobriety, like, I've had to go through a lot of really painful, like, emotional experiences to recognize, like, how much I am or am not trusting God. And it's happening, again, for me right now with, like, work stuff, right? Because I always, you know, and I talked a lot in the beginning about, like, finding something externally to make me feel good on the inside, And so now, right, that's happening again, where I had a baby a little under a year ago, like I'm uncomfortable because I, my AA routine is like all out of sorts because like the baby wakes up at sporadic times and I don't know, like I can't get up in the morning and just like sit on the couch and drink coffee and like pray like I used to. It's just not reality for me today. So now it's like, what does my life look like, you know, being an active member of AA in the way that I'm used to being that? Um, and also, you know, so what I've done, right, has not, like, thrown myself more into air, calmer woman. It's like I've just decided to work more, you know, because surely the validation that I'm getting from work is going to make me feel better. And it's always just this, like, temporary sense of, like, false hope, right? It's that, like, immediate gratification that alcohol gave me. It's that immediate gratification that, like, controlling the way that I looked gave me. It's this external way to, like, make my insides feel better. And um, my boss always says it's, like, uh, ambition masquer- or greed masqueraded by ambition. And uh, it's so funny to me, right? Because I, like, I'm, like, oh, yeah, I have this drive out, this ambition. Like, I'm a go-getter. And so I just, like, pour my life and soul into work and I have no- until I have nothing else left. And so I did that again in Denver, right? Like, I did it before I moved and I did it out there. So, like... Wherever I go, there I am again. Um, And so it's always interesting to me that at any time, like, I can tap into what you guys have to offer me. And if I continuously apply those tools, they begin to work slowly over time. And they always look a little bit different when I, like, reach these, like, emotional points or, I guess, moments of clarity and sobriety where I'm able to, like, reach this point of, like, sheer desperation, similar to, like, what I felt when I came into the rooms, um, but sober. And, like, that's a pretty shitty feeling to just reach a point where you, like, don't feel like you know who you are in sobriety. It's not super comfortable. And so I've walked through it, like, three points in my life in sobriety, and it's all been related to work stuff. And so um, I did that out in Denver, and... um, Life just got weird for a while, and we decided to move back to North Carolina. 
And I was kind of thinking like, oh, it will be great. I'll like know people there and I'll get plugged back in immediately and I can probably like find a home group super easily and you know, it's gonna be great, whatever. Um, and so that wasn't necessarily the case when I came back here. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't know, I wasn't like doing anything wrong per se. Um, I just, I wasn't like, I didn't accept the fact that I had to like become a newcomer again. So I've like moved a few times in sobriety and each time I've moved like with a decent amount of time. And so when I first came into these rooms, I had to like humble myself and become vulnerable and show up and like make coffee and just do the like mundane stuff that I'm required to do in AA and still need to do today. And I also have to like reach my hand out to people. And that's really difficult. And one thing my sponsor told me like when I first came into the rooms um, was that I should be calling like a few women in AA each day. And I would do it and it was very uncomfortable. And I didn't think that I, that applied to me when I had like two years sober. And then again, when I moved back here and had like six or seven years sober, I just thought that people would want to be my friend because <laughs> I was cool and had all this like experience to offer. So I thought that like if I just shared in a meeting that people would come up to me and like shake my hand and be like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's be friends and let's go have coffee and whatever. Um, Denver's also a lot different than the South. Like everyone's relatively friendly here. Um, and it was just a, a, a different experience out there. Um, and so I struggled, you know, not only when I moved out there getting plugged in because of my like ego um, and my fear of people because I'm actually like pretty introverted and I'm always like forced in this position in AA where I'm like and, and with work stuff where I have to be extroverted. Um, and so when I moved back here, I like, I don't, maybe I'm convincing myself that I tried, but I really didn't try that hard. And so I just gave up pretty quickly on making friends in AA here. I was like, there's no shot I'm going to do it. I'm just gonna put my head down and work a lot and focus on you know, my marriage and having fun and whatever, like it's gonna be okay. And again, I just like slowly drifted into this place. And it's weird for me, right? Because I've experienced like true happiness and freedom in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I get to experience that on a daily basis. And so for me to be in this place where I just feel like I'm like not 100% myself or as free as I know I could be um, is super uncomfortable. And um, I realized quickly that like my sponsor in Denver was not going to work for me anymore. And so I got a sponsor here and we went through the work. Um, and then probably one of like the biggest things that's ever happened in my sobriety happened last year. Um, and one of like our very best friends passed away. And there were some events that happened prior to that and I had a lot of resentments against people in AA. Um, because you know, the people that were in the home group that I was a part of at the time, like never reached out to me. Um, not that I ever reached out to them and you know, asked them how I was doing and I made a couple calls at the time because it had been weeks since I'd talked to anyone in that home group. I didn't go to an AA meeting, um, I just, was like really disappointed that the people in AA would act like this. And I called this woman, the woman who actually is one of my really good friends, um, sponsor, and she's like, Em, like, you always put on this face that like you're okay and you're fine and you're just this like strong woman. She's like, have you ever thought about the fact that like you need to reach out to people and tell them how you're feeling, that they're not gonna reach out to you? 
Um, and I was humbled again to the place of like, I make this assumption all the time that like people should reach out to me or people should know how I'm doing. And that's just not the case. Like I have to make an effort. And this was like shortly after we moved back, probably like six months after we moved back. And um, one thing that, you know, Chris said that really like started ringing in my head at that time is, you know, he said like, I don't know how many times I'm gonna get the gift of desperation. And the truth for me is like, I was super lucky to get the gift of desperation and have that moment of clarity when I did. I don't know how many chances I'm gonna get. If I choose to like step away from this way of life and not take these actions and do that, like there's a chance that I could not get a chance to do it again. And so at the time, I found a new sponsor. And it's interesting how like all throughout sobriety, every sponsor that's been placed in my life has been there for a reason. Um, and it's so beautiful that I've gotten to have this experience of learning different things from different people. Um, and this woman helped me really carve out probably one of the biggest resentments that was woven throughout that entire scenario. And I was able to forgive this particular person. And how beautiful did it feel to like, you know, forgive a person that I like ultimately blamed for me losing the person that I felt was one of my, the closest people in my life. Um, and so, you know, this program is so profound in that way that I can take, you know, this resentment and anger that's so wound up that I never think that I'm going to get rid of and weave that into like being able to reciprocate like loving someone else the way that I think that God loves me. Um, and another thing, you know, that happened in that whole experience where it's just like, it was horrific, you know? Um, and it's, it's a little like difficult to talk about from the podium, but I'm just going to like, I try to do it every time because the whole thing was so impactful um, but I just like had this intuition that something wasn't okay. And I go over to my friend's house and like sh stuff is just not okay. Right. And so all this, all these things are happening and there's, you know, EMTs and ambulance showing up. And, um, my husband was on the phone with his parents saying that they needed to come. And his mom walks in the door and just collapses and says like, thank God we got him back for eight years. And like this program gave him back a life for eight years. Um, and gave his family back a life and all these beautiful things that I just like get to be reminded of. And so um, for me, it's absolutely crucial that I, you know, continue to stay plugged in and do what I need to do. Um, and after that, you know, like obviously the pandemic made stuff really weird. Um, and I continue to kind of like stay a little distant from AA, if I'm being honest. Um, and it wasn't like I was afraid I was going to drink. Um, I just wasn't happy at all. And it's like, what's the point of like living a life where I'm not happy and when I have all the tools at my disposal to be happy. And so little by slow, I like started taking more action and I started just getting back to the very basics of literally like waking up, praying, incorporating meditation into my daily practice, calling people, um, getting a home group, like getting active and step work again. Um, and all the like pieces of my life have like slowly come back together. And then I had a baby <laughs> right after that. So, you know, I had a few months of like really feeling like I was getting back into this groove. And then, um, that happened, which has been like one of the most beautiful moments in my entire life. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, but it's really been a struggle to like figure out what my identity is now. 
you know, before it was like, okay, I can be a wife and I can, you know, be a member of AA and I can be a solid employee. But now it's like there's this other, like, being that I'm being called to, like, take care of and nurture and love. And I have a hard time figuring out how to be all those things now. So I'm not here to, like, sit up and lie to you and say that my life is perfect today, but if you got nothing else out of this, I hope it's, like, to sit here and to reiterate that, like, I'm fully aware of the gifts that this program has to offer. Um, And a huge key piece of that for me has been a few building blocks that, like, if I continue to do those building blocks, like, I get to experience true peace and freedom. Um, And a lot of things have continued to, like, get in the way of that. And the main one, you know, has been, like, work stuff, right? Like, AA has given me a life that has taken me away from AA, but I don't get to keep that life if the center of my life is not still AA. And so I'm just really grateful to be constantly reminded of that. Um, And, again, I'm really glad to be able to, like, sit up here and share this with you guys. Um, And then I'm just going to read something really quick um it was (laughs) there was like several actions that i was told early on that i kind of like internally rebelled at and i remember my sponsor in the beginning i was getting ready to do like a fourth and fifth step with her um and i looked at her and i was like hey i just like don't really trust you at all and i've been working with her (laughs) for like three months then (laughs) and she's like um well that's fine But, like, how are you going to trust something that you can't see, touch, or feel if you can't put a little bit of trust in me? And I'm, like, sitting here in front of you. Like, you can see me. And it just kind of shattered, like, the whole idea that I had anything else left to hide from any of you guys. Um, And she also told me to start reading the stories in the back of the book. Um, And I kind of balked at that for a minute. And then I started to read them. And I found my story in the book. And there's this really beautiful phrase at the end of it um, that I always like to wrap up with just because it's, like, super special to me. If I can find it. This is a different book than I normally have, so it's not, like... Sorry, guys. Okay. Um, Today, I reside among the living. No better, no worse than any of God's other children. Today, I look at the mirror when putting on my makeup and smile, rather than shy away from looking myself in the eye. Today, I fit in my skin. I'm at peace with myself and the world around me. Growing up in AA, I have been blessed with the children who have never seen their mother drunk. I have a husband who loves me simply because I am, and I have gained the respect of my family. What more could a broken-down drunk ask for? Lord knows it is more than I ever thought possible and ever so much more than I deserved. All because I was willing to believe AA might just work for me, too. Thank you.